Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we examine the necessity of global citizenship. What is it and how education attempts to foster a cadre of globally aware students. Our guest is Fernando Reimers, Director of the International Education Policy Program and Professor of International Education at Harvard. Welcome to the EdCast, Dr. Reimers. Hello, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. I suppose a good framing for this conversation would be knowing what exactly does it mean to be a global citizen? Yes, I think uh, global citizenship is having the skills, the awareness, the disposition to take responsibility for the creation of a, and the enrichment of a global order that allows people across civilizational streams to live in peace with one another, uh, to take care of the planet, to improve the conditions of, uh, of everyone in this planet. I suppose the best referent to guide what global citizenship is, is the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which was a document crafted a little over 60 years ago uh, after World War II, when a group of very visionary individuals asked themselves, how can we create the conditions so that we can have sustainable and enduring peace? And they concluded that identifying the basic rights of every person and creating the set of global institutions that would work to achieve those rights was a necessary condition, an essential condition to have that lasting peace. So global citizenship is preparing people to sustain an order of things that gives us that peace. Now in 2006, you wrote about three sets of competencies that are necessary for global citizenry. What are they and have any changed in the past four years? No, I still think that the same general categories of competencies are very important. One is a general positive disposition and interest in global affairs, in foreign affairs. It's really preparing young people to leave, uh, to leave that old aspiration that nothing human should be foreign to us, to feel at ease in different cultures and different civilizations, to be interested by the rich variation of human experience and human heritage. So this is a dispositional and attitudinal set of competencies. The second one, of course, is deep knowledge uh, and understanding of foreign affairs, of global affairs. I think that students are well served when they can study topics such as international development, when they understand uh, what are the constraints and the opportunities that different nations face, when they understand institutions that are global in nature, such as institutions that allow trade, for example, uh, or that allow international governance, or that allow mechanisms for the resolutions of disputes across countries. So a, a good, solid knowledge base and skill base uh, about topics that are global in nature would be very valuable. And lastly, I think the ability and the fluency in speaking foreign languages is very important at advanced levels to facilitate both uh, communication uh, but also perspective taking. I think that when students develop the ability to speak foreign languages uh, with fluency, they develop a, an empathy, a, the possibility to see the world in new ways. I think those three are still the, the, the basic pillars of, of global competency. Now, factoring in those three, it seems like now the need for global citizenship is really at a tipping point. Just looking in the news, the mosque debate near Ground Zero, uh, threats to burn the Quran in Florida. Is this a breakdown in global citizenship? And how does a global citizen interact with someone who may not be one? 
That's a, that's a very good question, uh, Matt. Um, the International Association for the Evaluation of Educational Achievement has just released a report of a study of citizenship conducted in uh, over 30 countries around the world. And one of the domains that is assessed in this report is, in fact, uh, competency in international affairs and topics. Um, the last time this comparative study was conducted was a little over a decade ago. And uh, therefore, it's possible for a number of countries to assess whether civic competency more generally, not only global competency in particular, has increased or decreased. And one of the, one of the really surprising findings of this study is that in some domains there is less civic competency and knowledge today than there was a little over 10 years ago in the countries that have participated. Now, we might ask, why is this the case? Why is it that in this area we are not making progress and, in fact, we may be regressing? Um, I think that in some countries around the world we have become so focused, so narrowed in some ways in defining the purposes of schools that we're simply not spending the time preparing students to develop the cognitive dispositions, the emotional, the social dispositions to care for other people beyond their immediate uh, communities, to understand them, and, uh, and certainly to, to speak other languages and, and so on. So I, I do think that just as a very time that global competency is certainly as necessary as it was after World War II, if not more necessary, education systems um, are clearly not making sufficient progress in providing a deep understanding, deep opportunities, serious opportunities to develop that. I mean, you know, there are a number of schools who think that they uh, want to promote intercultural competency, and the way they do that is once a year they will do a, a Foods of the World Festival where everybody, it's kind of a potluck dinner, they will bring a dish from another country. And this is not a bad thing, but it's clearly, I don't think you can achieve serious, deep global competency with globalization light. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Lori Huff, editor of Ed, the magazine of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'd like to share with you some news about our latest issue, which highlights the 35th anniversary of the Education for All Handicapped Children Act. It features an all-black cover with the word visionary written in Braille and profiles Ed School alum David Tiki's experience as a blind teacher in a public school. You can find this article and many more at gse.harvard.edu backslash ed. Happy reading. And we're back. Is any country more so than others particularly effective at training global citizens? I, a few weeks ago, I was in Beijing at the conference of the high school affiliated with Renmin Universities, one of the best uh, middle schools and high schools in China. And as part of the celebration of the 60th anniversary of that school, um, at this meeting, they convened the principals of some of the leading schools around the world, um, um, schools in Singapore, in South Korea, in England, in Finland, in the U.S., and so on. And in, th in those conversations, the heads of those schools talked about uh, the how they conceived of the purpose of education and talked about the kinds of activities that uh, they, they organized, instructional activities in the schools. I was struck by how highly the development of global um, competency figured in the purpose of those schools around the world. So I certainly think that uh, it is clear to some of the best schools around the world that if we are to prepare students for leadership, you have to prepare them to not only feel at ease in the world, 
but with the capabilities so that they can work with others, they can associate with others in partnership with others and lead uh, in search of common global purposes. And some schools are doing this. Um, it seems to me that uh, some of the, of the countries uh, in, in Europe, Finland, for example, who are smaller, who have small education systems, who have a very long uh, and sustained, have had a long and sustained commitment to educating all students at very high levels and who really have a broad conception of the purposes of schools are doing uh, a particularly good job at uh, infusing in the curriculum for most students the opportunity to develop global competency. Now, you might argue uh, in some ways it's easier for a small country, uh, or you could say the same about Singapore, uh, which has around 200 high schools. It's easier for a small country to understand how preparing its citizens for, for leadership involves developing global competency. And, and maybe it's easier to do that uh, with rigor than it is for a large country. But I think even in the United States, uh, I know that uh, traditionally there have been some educators in this country who have argued uh, the, the following point. The country is so large. Why do we need to bother teaching students about other places or about other languages when they're going to be able to live fulfilling lives if they just speak English and know principally about the U.S.? I think it's getting harder to sustain that proposition in the kind of word, world in which we live. And um, so I do think there, there are examples of good practice around the world, and I think that uh, we can learn from those examples of good practice. Now, looking to the UN's Millennium Development Goals and Education for All Goals, is it possible to have a scalable global values curriculum that actually works? Hmm. That's a hard. That's a hard question. I think that if you if you look at the UN institutions, I mean, I referred earlier to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights as this global compact that really change the the world fundamentally, including educationally, because the declaration, the UN system was created, and these UN transform humanity in a number of fronts, including in education. Now, when the UN uh, was created and when the declaration was drafted, there was great moral clarity about the purpose of education, educating all children. Uh, the goals of education as a human right, as a fundamental human right uh, of every person, that goal was intertwined with the goal of teaching human rights, of teaching students to understand, accept, and be ready to work for the human rights of others. And it seems to me that over the years we have lost the moral clarity that was so present after World War II. Um, you refer to the Millennium Development Goals. I think they are a very good global compact that gives us direction, that gives the global community uh, direction in terms of the kinds of opportunities and the kinds of outcomes we should seek for all children. The two specific Millennium Goals that refer to education, however, um, are really silent on the, on the moral question of the purposes of schools. The goals are about getting all children to complete a course of primary education and reducing uh, gender disparities in those completion rates. And those are very important goals. But of course, we need to remember that it is possible to go to a school, uh, even to go to a school for many years and to graduate from that school and either not learn very much not learn very much that is of value, or certainly not learn very much that would uh, equip you to be an engaged citizen or a, or a global citizen. So I do think we need to make more progress in aligning those sort of basic core millennium development goals that uh, um, strive to provide an opportunity for to every child to be educated 
with goals that also have a clear moral conception that really integrates that we need to educate people to have uh, a world that is at peace. And I think one condition for that is to promote global citizenship. So I think one starting point uh, as a framework to, to guide the de development of curriculum for global citizenship is the Declaration of Human Rights, is use that to inform the design of a, of a curriculum. I do believe congratulations are in order, Dr. Reimers. You recently were appointed the Global Learning Leadership Council through the American Association of Colleges and Universities. So on the higher education front, what do you hope to accomplish in your new role? I think our, I'm, I'm very pleased to be serving in, in that group, and I'm very glad that the council has taken as, as an objective uh, the, the promotion of global competency at the college and university level in the United States. I think that if you look at the mission statements of a number of our universities, the vast majority of them uh, would like to be promoting global competency. As to whether they actually have a strategy to achieve that or um, whether they have specific activities that are very successful that are effective in achieving that, I think that the jury is out on that question. So my hope is that our council is going to uh, not only put the issue on the agenda, but actually create a community of institutions that are interested in making real progress uh, towards achieving that goal, in identifying what is good practice, uh, in sharing that good practice, and in putting some pressure in the members of the consortium to, uh, to really enact what it means to develop global competency at the higher education level. Now, in schools and amongst teachers in all the countries, what are some of the greatest challenges facing the promotion of global citizenship? I think that there are perhaps three uh, challenges that we need to think about. One of them is we need effective curriculum, and we need time in the curriculum to devote to the study of global affairs, to the study of foreign languages. Uh, this is not something that is going to happen only with extracurricular activities once a year. So we need serious time and we need good curriculum and instructional materials to develop that. We have a lot already. Uh, we have many resources that have been developed on a small scale um, in sort of pilot initiatives, uh, some of which have been evaluated, others haven't. But I think there is a real opportunity to take stock of everything that exists and, and really present it in a format that makes it accessible to the great majority of the teachers. And that, that's one of the obstacles, curriculum and materials. The second one, of course, is capacity, teachers' capacities. I think we need to provide teachers with communities of colleagues, both in their schools and elsewhere, who can support them once they decide that they want to teach, uh, they, they want to foster global competency. They are inevitable questions that are going to surface. If a school, for example, decides to implement a study abroad program and to take a group of students uh, for a week or two weeks to another nation, to place them in the schools, there are going to be a lot of opportunities for misunderstanding that are going to that are going to arise, and those are good teachable moments. But the teachers need to be supported to turn those uh, those uh, situations, those potentially difficult situations, into actual opportunities for learning of the students. So teachers need to be coached and supported and provided opportunities to develop competency. That's a second uh, a second area. Third one is we have to rethink assessment. Uh, assessment is a very powerful driver of instruction in this country and elsewhere. And there is a movement in this country, as you know, Matt, that is trying to propose a broader conception of the goals of school, the uh, Coalition for the Development of 21st Century Skills. And what the coalition is, is suggesting is that we have to measure the performance of students uh, beyond the traditional domains of literacy and mathematics and science that 
uh, we have to we have to make global competency count and counting it means we need to assess foreign language capacity we need to assess uh, knowledge of other countries and regions and topics that are global in, in, in nature and we need to assess inter intercultural competency and all, all those competencies can be measured and, and I think we should be doing that and that information should be part of the conversation about how our schools are doing and, and how they should be improving. Dr. Reimers, last question. For those who feel the world has shrunk and is completely globalized, both in business and in education now in 2010, what does a globalized world look like in 10 or 20 years? I see tremendous opportunities in 10, to, uh, 10 or 20 years. To give you just an example, as you think about the potential of technology to facilitate access of very high quality content and to allow, allow people from very different civilizational streams in very different cultural contexts to access information about one another. The possibilities that we have today and the possibilities that we will have in 10 or 20 years are unprecedented. Just technology has shrunk our, our world. Um, you probably have heard about this wonderful innovation that was initiated by a single individual in uh, San Francisco, the Khan Academy. So Mr. Khan converted a closet in his house and decided to begin to use his time to produce high quality content to provide after school support in a few academic subjects to students. And he now has the largest classroom in the world. If this is accessible to an individual, I think this very medium that we're using to communicate, iTunes University, is, is, a, is an extraordinary resource that makes it possible for any of us to access content produced globally in different places and therefore gives us the opportunity to have windows into the ways of knowing, of understanding, of thinking about our, our fellow citizens in this, in this small spaceship, which is, which is the Earth. Um, so I think technology has definitely increased the opportunities that we have to better know and understand one another. I imagine that a globalized world is going to make it very easy for people to make seamless transitions across education systems. I expect to see, you know, it was about 50 years ago that a group of individuals began what is the International Baccalaureate. And the aspiration behind the IB was to make it possible for a rather small group of people whose parents were expected to be traveling to be able to have seamless transitions between the countries where they began their schooling and they continued. That experience is becoming more and more common, uh, not for the majority of the world's children, but for many children around the world. So I expect to see a, a lowering of the barriers that currently exist that make it very difficult for a children who begins their education in Brazil, say, to continue their education in, uh, in the United States or, or in Mexico. And I, and I think this is going to become easier. Education systems, just as universities are doing in, in Europe at the moment through the Bologna process, where they're just making, very interested in making it possible for students to, uh, to begin their education in one system and continue it in another. This is a trend that I hope to see continue. I expect to see convergence in um, the definition of a core curriculum, in the definition of some basic levels of competency that we hope everybody to have. For the last 60 years, the global goals for education, to the extent that there have been some, really have been about providing people access to school and the opportunity to complete school and perhaps uh, to provide them literacy. But I think we are now at a point where we have um, 
expanded definitions of what are the skills that count and much more ambitious aspirations for the kinds of skills that education system systems uh, should help all students around the world develop uh, not just in literacy but in numeracy and in science and I think that these study, this comparative study of civic education that I just mentioned, uh, will contribute to forming kind of a global consensus about what it is that we should expect all students uh, to, to know. So those are some of the directions in which I, I see the world moving. I think we're all going to be uh, having even many more interactions with people from different cultural origins and in different places uh, in ways that we perhaps can't even imagine at, uh, at the moment. I mean, who would have said uh, 20 years ago, right, that we could be communicating with our listeners today through this medium? Who, who would have said five years ago that we could be doing this today? So It is, it is an amazing technology, and look forward to that future you described. Mm -hmm. Our guest has been Dr. Fernando Reimers, professor of international education at Harvard, and true global citizen to a world that in so many countries can download this podcast and hear our thoughts from today. Hello from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and thanks once again to Dr. Reimers for joining us. Thank you, Matt. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.